Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Catholic Light. On this week's episode, we'll simply read the catechism selection for the week. We'll read paragraphs 1153 through 1178, and then I'll return next week with the usual commentary and reading on the second half of the episode. So we'll read today paragraphs 1153 through 1178 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Words and Actions A sacramental celebration is a meeting of God's children with their Father, in Christ and the Holy Spirit. This meeting takes the form of a dialogue through actions and words. Admittedly, the symbolic actions are already a language, but the Word of God and the response of faith have to accompany and give life to them so that the seed of the kingdom can bear its fruit in good soil. The liturgical actions signify what the word of God expresses, both his free initiative and his people's response of faith. The liturgy of the word is an integral part of sacramental celebrations. To nourish the faith of believers, the signs which accompany the word of God should be emphasized. The book of the word, a lectionary or a book of the gospels, its veneration, procession, incense, candles, the place of its proclamation, lectern or ambo, its audible and intelligible reading, the minister's homily, which extends its proclamation, and the responses of the assembly, acclamations, meditation psalms, litanies, and profession of faith. The liturgical word and action are inseparable both insofar as they are signs and instruction and insofar as they accomplish what they signify. When the Holy Spirit awakens faith, he not only gives an understanding of the Word of God, but through the sacraments also makes present the wonders of God, which it proclaims. The Spirit makes present and communicates the Father's work, fulfilled by the Beloved Son. Singing and Music The musical tradition of the Universal Church is a treasure of inestimable value, greater even than that of any other art. The main reason for this preeminence is that, as a combination of sacred music and words, it forms a necessary or integral part of solemn liturgy. The composition and singing of inspired psalms, often accompanied by musical instruments, were already closely linked to the liturgical celebrations of the Old Covenant. The Church continues and develops this tradition. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. He who sings prays twice. Song and music fulfill their function as signs in a manner all the more significant when they are more closely connected with the liturgical action, according to three principal criteria. Beauty, expressive of prayer, the unanimous participation of the assembly at the designated moments, and the solemn character of the celebration. In this way, they participate in the purpose of the liturgical words and actions the glory of God, and the sanctification of the faithful. How I wept, deeply moved by your hymns, songs, and the voices that echoed through your church. What emotion I experienced in them. Those sounds flowed into my ears, distilling the truth in my heart. A feeling of devotion surged within me, and tears streamed down my face, tears that did me good. That comes from St. Augustine's Confessions. The harmony of signs, song, music, words, and actions is all the more expressive and fruitful when expressed in the cultural richness of the people of God who celebrate. 
Hence, religious singing by the faithful is to be intelligently fostered so that in devotions and sacred exercises, as well as in liturgical services, in conformity with the church's norms, the voices of the faithful may be heard. But the texts intended to be sung must always be in conformity with Catholic doctrine. Indeed, they should be drawn chiefly from the sacred scripture and from liturgical sources. Holy Images The sacred image, the liturgical icon, principally represents Christ. It cannot represent the invisible and incomprehensible God, but the incarnation of the Son of God has ushered in a new economy of images. Previously, God, who has neither a body nor a face, absolutely could not be represented by an image. But now that he has made himself visible in the flesh and has lived with men, I can make an image of what I have seen of God and contemplate the glory of the Lord, his face unveiled. That comes from St. John Damascene. Christian iconography expresses in images the same gospel message that scripture communicates by words. Image and word illuminate each other. We declare that we preserve intact all the written and unwritten traditions of the church which have been entrusted to us. One of these traditions consists in the production of representational artwork, which accords with the history of the preaching of the gospel. For it confirms that the incarnation of the word of God was real and not imaginary, and to our benefit as well, for realities that illustrate each other undoubtedly reflect each other's meaning. That comes from the Second Council of Nicaea. All the signs in the liturgical celebrations are related to Christ, as are sacred images of the Holy Mother of God and of the saints as well. They truly signify Christ, who is glorified in them. They make manifest the cloud of witnesses who continue to participate in the salvation of the world and to whom we are united, above all, in sacramental celebrations. Through their icons, it is man, in the image of God, finally transfigured into his likeness, who is revealed to our faith. So too are the angels, who also are recapitulated in Christ. Following the divinely inspired teaching of our Holy Fathers and the tradition of the Catholic Church, for we know that this tradition comes from the Holy Spirit who dwells in her, we rightly define with full certainty and correctness that, like the figure of the precious and life-giving cross, venerable and holy images of our Lord and God and Savior Jesus Christ, our inviolate Lady, the Holy Mother of God, and the venerated angels, all the saints and the just, whether painted or made of mosaic or another suitable material, are to be exhibited in the holy churches of God, on sacred vessels and vestments, walls and panels, in houses and on streets. That's also from the Second Council of Nicaea. The beauty of the images moves me to contemplation, as a meadow delights the eyes and subtly infuses the soul with the glory of God. Similarly, the contemplation of sacred icons, united with the meditation on the Word of God and the singing of liturgical hymns, enters into the harmony of the signs of celebration so that the mystery celebrated is imprinted in the heart's memory and is then expressed in the new life of the faithful. When is the liturgy celebrated? Liturgical Seasons Holy Mother Church believes that she should celebrate the saving work of her divine spouse in a sacred commemoration on certain days throughout the course of the year. Once each week, on the day which she has called the Lord's Day, she keeps the memory of the Lord's resurrection. She also celebrates it once every year, together with his blessed passion at Easter, that most solemn of all feasts. In the course of the year, moreover, she unfolds the whole mystery of Christ, thus recalling the mysteries of the redemption. She opens up to the faithful the riches of her Lord's powers and merits, so that these are in some way made present in every age. 
The faithful lay hold of them and are filled with saving grace. From the time of the Mosaic Law, the people of God have observed fixed feasts, beginning with Passover, to commemorate the astonishing actions of the Savior God, to give Him thanks for them, to perpetuate their remembrance, and to teach new generations to conform their conduct to them. In the age of the Church, between the Passover of Christ already accomplished once for all and its consummation in the Kingdom of God, the liturgy celebrated on fixed days bears the imprint of the newness of the mystery of Christ. When the Church celebrates the mystery of Christ, there is a word that marks her prayer, today, a word echoing the prayer her Lord taught her and the call of the Holy Spirit. This quote-unquote today of the living God, which man is called to enter, is quote-unquote the hour of Jesus' Passover, which reaches across and underlies all history. Life extends over all beings and fills them with unlimited light. The Orient of Orients pervades the universe, and he who was before the day star and before the heavenly bodies, immortal and vast, the great Christ, shines over all beings more brightly than the sun. Therefore, a day of long, eternal light is ushered in for us who believe in him, a day which is never blotted out, the mystical Passover. That comes from St. Hippolytus. The Lord's Day. By a tradition handed down from the apostles, which took its origin from the very day of Christ's resurrection, the church celebrates the Paschal mystery every seventh day, which day is appropriately called the Lord's Day or Sunday. The day of Christ's resurrection is both the first day of the week, the memorial of the first day of creation, and the eighth day on which Christ, after his rest on the great Sabbath, inaugurates the day that the Lord has made, the day that knows no evening. The Lord's Supper is its center, for there the whole community of the faithful encounters the risen Lord, who invites them to his banquet. The Lord's Day, the day of resurrection, the day of Christians, is our day. It is called the Lord's Day because on it the Lord rose victorious to the Father. If pagans call it the day of the sun, we willingly agree, for today the light of the world is raised. Today is revealed the Son of Justice with healing in his rays. Sunday is the preeminent day for the liturgical assembly, when the faithful gather to listen to the word of God and take part in the Eucharist, thus calling to mind the passion, resurrection, and glory of the Lord Jesus, and giving thanks to God who has begotten them again by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead unto a living hope. When we ponder, O Christ, the marvels accomplished on this day, the Sunday of your holy resurrection, we say, Blessed is Sunday, for on it began creation, the world's salvation, the renewal of the human race. On Sunday, heaven and earth rejoiced, and the whole universe was filled with light. Blessed is Sunday, for on it were opened the gates of paradise, so that Adam and all the exiles might enter into it without fear. The Liturgical Year Beginning with the Easter Triduum as its source of light, the new age of the resurrection fills the whole liturgical year with its brilliance. Gradually, on either side of the source, the year is transfigured by the liturgy. It really is a year of the Lord's favor. The economy of salvation is at work within the framework of time. But since its fulfillment in the Passover of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the culmination of history is anticipated as a foretaste, and the kingdom of God enters into our time. Therefore, Easter is not simply one feast among others, but the Feast of Feasts, the Solemnity of Solemnities, just as the Eucharist is the Sacrament of Sacraments, or the Great Sacrament. St. Athanasius calls Easter the Great Sunday, and the Eastern churches call Holy Week the Great Week. The mystery of the resurrection, in which Christ crushed death, permeates with its powerful energy our old time, until all is subjected to him.
At the Council of Nicaea in 325, all the churches agreed that Easter, the Christian Passover, should be celebrated on the Sunday following the first full moon, 14 Nisan, after the vernal equinox. Because of different methods of calculating the 14th day of the month of Nisan, the date of Eastern, Easter in the Western and Eastern churches is not always the same. For this reason, the churches are currently seeking an agreement in order once again to celebrate the day of the Lord's resurrection on a common date. Today, the Western and Eastern churches are seeking an agreement in order once again to celebrate the day of the Lord's resurrection on a common date. In the liturgical year, the various aspects of the one Paschal mystery unfold. This is also the case with the cycle of feasts surrounding the mystery of the Incarnation, the Annunciation, Christmas, and Epiphany. They commemorate the beginning of our salvation and communicate to us the first fruits of the Paschal mystery. The Sanctural in the Liturgical Year In celebrating this annual cycle of the mysteries of Christ, Holy Church honors the Blessed Mary, Mother of God, with a special love. She is inseparably linked with the saving work of her Son. In her, the Church admires and exalts the most excellent fruit of redemption and joyfully contemplates, as in a faultless image, that which she herself desires and hopes wholly to be. When the Church keeps the memorials of martyrs and other saints during the annual cycle, she proclaims the Paschal mystery in those who have suffered and have been glorified with Christ. She proposes them to the faithful as examples who draw all men to the fathers through Christ, and through their merits she begs for God's favors. The Liturgy of the Hours The mystery of Christ, His incarnation and Passover, which we celebrate in the Eucharist, especially at the Sunday Assembly, permeates and transfigures the time of each day through the celebration of the Liturgy of the Hours, or the Divine Office. This celebration, faithful to the apostolic exhortations to pray constantly, is so devised that the whole course of the day and night is made holy by the praise of God. In his public prayer of the church, the faithful, clergy, religious, and lay people exercise the royal priesthood of the baptized. Celebrated in the form approved by the church, the Liturgy of the Hours is truly the voice of the bride herself addressed to her bridegroom. It is the very prayer which Christ himself, together with his body, addresses to the Father. The Liturgy of the Hours is intended to become the prayer of the whole people of God. In it, Christ himself continues his priestly work through his church. His members participate according to their own place in the church and the circumstances of their lives. Priests devoted to the pastoral ministry, because they are called to remain diligent in prayer and the service of the world. Religious, by the charism of their consecrated lives. All the faithful as much as possible. Pastors of souls should see to it that the principal hours, especially Vespers, are celebrated in common in church on Sundays and on the more solemn feasts. The laity, too, are encouraged to recite the divine office, either with the priests or among themselves or even individually. The celebration of the Liturgy of the Hours demands not only harmonizing the voice with the praying heart, but also a deeper understanding of the liturgy and of the Bible, especially of the Psalms. The hymns and litanies of the Liturgy of the Hours integrate the prayer of the Psalms into the age of the Church, expressing the symbolism of the time of day, the liturgical season, or the feast being celebrated. Moreover, the reading from the Word of God at each hour, with the subsequent responses or troparia, and readings from the fathers and spiritual masters at certain hours reveal more deeply the meaning of the mystery being celebrated, assist in understanding the psalms, and prepare for silent prayer. 
the Lexio Divina, where the Word of God is so read and meditated that it becomes prayer, is thus rooted in the liturgical celebration. The Liturgy of the Hours, which is like an extension of the Eucharistic celebration, does not exclude, but rather in a complementary way, calls forth the various devotions of the people of God, especially adoration and worship of the Blessed Sacrament. This brings us to the end of our reading selection of the Catechism for the week. Thanks for joining me for an abbreviated episode. We'll return next week with another reading selection. We'll continue our reading of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and I'll include commentary on the first half as we usually do. So please pray for me. I'll be praying for you. And in the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends. And connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, God bless you.